Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall with the Money Advantage and my co-host Bruce Wainer is with me as well this morning along with special guest Mark Bertrang. And what I want to say today is if you have wanted a way to be able to share the greatest gift of love possible with your family, with your children, it's not something that's ambiguous or, or something that can't be bought. It is something that you're not going to find at Hallmark though. It's something that you're going to really think differently about how can you give this greatest gift of love to your family. So in today's conversation, it might be a little unconventional, but we're talking about how life insurance is that greatest hug or that greatest embrace and the greatest gift of love that you can give to your family to really put them in a position of dignity and honor, regardless of what happens to you. And so- Wow, you worded that so well. I'm done. <laughs> you're not done yet, because this is a fantastic topic that we have so much to talk about with. So Mark, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning to you. Excellent. Well, we're so happy to have you on the show. And uh, where are you coming in from today? I should know from your book. Okay. So I am on the uh, western side of Wisconsin, right along the Mississippi River. Uh, the largest town is uh, one called La, uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin. I'm actually from Onalaska, Wisconsin, a small town of about 18,000 people. You know what? I grew up in Minnesota, and I realize oh. that 18,000 is actually very large compared to some cities. I think, I can't even remember how many, I think our town had 1,800, and oh my while gosh. I lived there, got, we put in the second stoplight. So, um, Oh my God, I'm, I've got to ask, where, what, what town were you originally from? That was from? Moose Lake, Minnesota. Whoa, Moose Lake. Okay, so that's up north? It's about 50 miles south of Duluth, about 100 ah, miles middle, north of St. Paul. Middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere is exactly yeah. right. So, awesome. but I'm familiar with middle of nowhere in the the um, Midwest. So okay. this is great. Terrific. Terrific. This is great. So I wanted to just kick us off with a brief introduction to who is Mark. So Mark Bertrang is the creator of Financial Loscopy. Now, don't let that scare you because he's an amazing guy who is going to share a fantastic perspective with you today. He's also CLU and CHFC, which I'll let you explain that as well in a second. You had a former career in broadcasting, which is very fantastic before you went into financial services. And I want to let you know, if you're listening to this show today, the reason we're having him on is that I read this book called Investments Don't Hug. I have it right here as a plug for your book. That's you on the front. It is. And the purpose of this book is just so powerful. There, I have never cried so much reading any book, and especially not a book about life insurance. And so again, don't let that scare you, but this is just a completely different perspective than we often hear when it comes to life insurance. So this is what we're going to be talking about today. And Mark, I'm going to let you answer most of our questions about the book and share your knowledge through the conversation about that. So again, Bruce as well, welcome to the show. I didn't officially bring you onto the show this morning. This is not good. No, that's, I think people kind of understand um, our roles. Uh, but once again, I'm giddy about the uh, uh, the type of and quality of guests we are bringing on. And, and I know from our readers or listeners' comments that they really appreciate our guests too. So I'm um, happy to 
to now meet Mark officially after researching him and actually having his book on my nightstand. And so uh, this is a really, really pleasure, Mark. I'm really looking forward to uh, you sharing your uh, um, immense amount of wisdom with our listeners. Thanks a lot for being on the show. You're welcome, Bruce. Thank you. You know, what's interesting regarding the book, uh, you were talking about getting uh, somewhat uh, teary-eyed. I was speaking with an individual recently, uh, 55 years of age, a gentleman, and uh, I had recommended my book to him so he would understand some of the concepts. In fact, uh, he was more of an intellectual, so I literally told him, these are the chapters that you need to read, and they weren't mm. love story chapters. They were actually the chapters that just had information as far as construction of contracts, how policies work, illustrations, guaranteed cash values, non-forfeiture options, all these what I would kind of refer to as boring topics, but very important. But instead, he decided to just plow through the entire book. And he said, Mark, I'm really kind of disappointed in you. Disappointed, I said. Yes, because you made me cry. Mm. And that is unfortunately part of what my book is all about. When I originally came up with the idea of the book, it was probably about five years ago. I had worked on it for about three years and then really heavy duty for about two years. But the reason that I came up with the book is that I came back from a funeral of a client one day and I sat at my desk and, and, and I just shook my head back and forth and I wondered to myself, how many death claims has our office had? So I asked my office manager, could you just go back into the files and could you take just a plain old legal pad? And could you write down the names of individuals that we have paid death claims on? Hmm. And I got a list back of about 35 individuals. Oh, wow. And from the 35, I just started to write a sentence next to each name. What was the circumstance? How did it play out? You know, did I do everything that I should have done? Could I have done more? How was the family affected? And I realized that every single story was unique and don't each one of us have unique stories. I mean, we can't fall into a generic, this is the way that it works out. Each one of these was very, very unique. And once I had gone through the legal pad, I realized looking at it, I had a book. I now had the outline and I didn't even realize it was going to be a book at that time, but mm -hmm. I actually the outline just because of that one experience. Well, I love how you shared that. And that was going to be my first question, which I, I know that you just were able to beautifully share kind of how this book even transpired to begin with. But it's interesting how you didn't set out to write a book about life insurance. That wasn't your mission in life. It is something that kind of came as a result of your experience. And I love how organic that was and how authentic to you and just living your life out of this goodness of your heart, you're doing this life insurance work, you're seeing something happen in someone's life, it touches you emotionally, and that starts this whole project for you, which has really been able to be hugely impactful to a lot of people. So let's back up a little bit. What brought you into life insurance to begin with? It really got down to relationships. I was in the broadcast industry years and years ago. I sometimes like to refer to it as a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> 
that happened a long, long time ago, kind of like the beginning of Star Wars. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. we're talking about the mid-1980s. And Bruce might be able to appreciate this because it looks like he's got a little bit of gray hair on his temples as well. Uh, it was. I just cover mine up, but I've got quite a bit oh, going on. No, no, no. no. <laughs> You're way too young. This was during the time that uh, that uh, radio stations actually played something called records. Uh-huh. Okay. They were kind of those uh, black discs that we used to play. So nice. uh, I actually, you know, did that for a living. And it was a lot of time spending alone, not really spending with people. And I really wanted to have a career that I feel like I could make a difference, that I could have long term enduring relationships. And mm-hmm. I think that that kind of plays out in my book as well, because I've seen people before they got married, and then when they got married, and then when they had children, and then with the children left the house, and then with those children had children, and being able to be part of a person's life. I mean, that's one thing that I think we are all so blessed to be able to be that, uh, that conduit from one stage of a life to another. And what yes. we will often find, I know myself, is that um, your, your life, your, your client life, oftentimes will look like a bell curve where most of the people that you will work with sometimes will be about 10 years younger or older than yourself. So as you age, those clients kind of age with you. Now, we still have clients in their 20s and I've got clients in their 90s. But the vast majority of people that I work with, I've gone through those same life stages that they have. And I think that that's been very helpful, both to me, because I can relate, mm-hmm. but also to my clients, because we get one another. I Mark, love it's that. A, it's it's a interesting how words or little stories bring back memories. You just did it for me. Yes, uh, I actually started in the industry in 88. Hmm. Um, and I come from a small town too of 4,500 people. Wow. Um, and Steve Bacon, who was, um, who had just graduated, I was a senior, me, uh, myself and three other guys were actually in our local grocery store, uh, uh, after school, um, doing inventory every night. That was one of my jobs. And, um, Steve would always be on the on the radio station at the small town and he would sign off every night at 10 o'clock. And (laughs) that sounds ridiculous to people now, but in a small town, there was no reason to continue after 10 o'clock. And and his catch phrase was the best in rock till 10 o'clock. And so you just (laughs) brought that, (laughs) you just brought brought that up to the forefront, but that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about, investing in people's lives and the emotional part of their life mm-hmm. and being and walking that journey with them. And you just helped me walk a mild journey also with the Columbia record house, uh, uh, albums that I used to buy in the seventies. You, you, oh my gosh. Yeah. Those too. Uh, but you, you share those things with, and you make connections with people, um, when you're, when you're in a, a meeting with them, because that's what, that's what the life insurance does. It, it, it's not about the money. It's a. It's about. It's about what the emotional uh, uh, things that the money will allow to continue, without mm-hmm. the stress in those families' lives. And mm-hmm. that's what we. That's the message that we have to get out to people all the time. Because people always focus on what's the what's the amount of the death benefit that I need. The whole need. The whole needs analysis that was developed just absolutely drives me crazy. Right. 
right. it should not be what you need. It's, it's what you want for your family. If you were to pre prematurely, you know, or even when you do, even if it's not prematurely, you were mm -hmm. talking about the 90 year old. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's really, you know, one of the important issues. One of the things that I had mentioned in my book, one of the stories, and, and, and I should probably say, I'm not really an analytical. I've got somebody in my office who loves Excel spreadsheets. If he could spend the entire day just working with numbers, he would be more than happy. I'm more of a stories guy. I'm more of a, uh, uh, a guy that's going to hug you at the door when you come in because that's mm -hmm. what I'm all about. But you do need both of those. So when we talk about investments don't hug, what is really interesting about that title of the book is we also work on the investment side, but at the end of the day, if there's a death, uh, someone will never ask, you know, about did they have investments? Even my grandfather's death when uh, he died at the age of 86, about 27 years ago, I can remember hearing two little old women in the back of the, uh, uh, of, of, of the wake, one saying to the other, asking, did he have life insurance? It always gets to the life insurance because we know that that's a known amount and it comes due at exactly the moment that we need it. So it's important that, just like the title of the book, that we embrace that life insurance asset. So one of the reasons that I wrote the book was to help with my own process in my office to be able to shorten that process. Because again, we tell a lot of these stories. I'm sure, Bruce, you have the same example where you've told the same story probably a thousand times. Well, it's time sometimes to put that into the book form. Uh, this also helps others, you know, uh, whether it's other agents or representatives or advisors, because we don't necessarily have all the stories right at the tip of our tongue. So mm -hmm. like we were discussing before we began is that uh, I want other advisors to be able to use this book to be able to tell those stories. And then I just ask that they go and do good. You know, because we're kind of an army out there. Mm -hmm. We have knowledge. We, we know how things play out. We have those life experiences to realize that, you know, so mm -hmm. I just have to do good. And then, you know, uh, uh, maybe more of an important thing is, is as far as why I wrote the book is how I wrote the book. I had spent about three years working on it, but then I realized that I really needed to get this done the day that one of my clients who had lost a spouse at the age of 36 knew that I was working on this. And he looked me directly in the eyes and he said, you need to finish this, you know, because he understood the importance of it. So literally we have a cabin in Northern uh, Wisconsin and for one year, I took five weeks off. And when I mean five weeks, I mean the weekend before, then the week, then the weekend after. I had five of those periods of time that I literally went up by myself. I told my wife, I'm sorry, you can't come. Okay, this is just me. This is truly alone time. And I basically wrote my book, the vast majority of it, on a laptop beginning at about nine o'clock in the morning and would finish at about nine o'clock at night mm. and then say, okay, done. Let's just rest and then repeat this again tomorrow. So it's the how that really made a huge difference. If I had not had that cabin, the book would have never happened. 
Well, I think what's interesting is that whenever there is a really important message that you need to get out, it requires you to be very introspective and it's a lot of deep thinking work that's required to do that. And so I just tremendously admire any authors, any givers of content in any way. There is so much mental energy and focus that goes into being able to create that how it gets out to, to really be this beautiful, complete thing. And so I really love how you shared about why you wrote the book and the difference between investments and insurance. And specifically mm-hmm. when somebody passes away, because this is a known fact, it's going to happen in every single one of our lives. We don't know when, and that's the most difficult part of, about it, but we know that it is a certainty thing that we will at some point pass away. And we want to plan for that as best as possible. And you say, live like everything, live like mm-hmm. you're going to live forever, but plan like you're going to die tomorrow. So can you share really how you do that? And then uh, what really you felt was the most important part of the theme of this book? Well, and, and, and this is a real key as well, because there's individuals like yourself that do a, a wonderful, um, uh, uh, a wonderful uh, plan of putting together actions for people on how they can utilize money today using a life insurance contract. What I didn't want to do is to construct a book that was basically a repeat on what everyone else had done. Mm-hmm. Because there's some wonderful authors, there's wonderful advisors out there that can walk people through on how to use the money. For instance, uh, something that is not in my book, because that was not the goal of my book, is that I've used the cash value of life insurance to get into real estate. I've used it to uh, buy our commercial building. Here is where I failed. And I would love for somebody to do this and and send me a picture someday, is that when a person purchases something through real estate, I wish I would have at the time gotten one of those big plywood signs like the banks always do when they start a project and they finance a project and they say, project financed through ACME. Okay. I am waiting for the person, and I should have done this, and I didn't. I should have built a big plywood sign, and it should have been, this business project has been financed through Mark Bertrang's cash value life insurance, and with a little asterisk, and he didn't have to die to do it, you know? Absolutely. So it's having those tools. So I believe that this is this is a product that is one of the best products that we can buy. But I also talk about that. I believe that this is the best last product, the last asset that anybody should ever have on the table. When I sit down with someone, I'll sometimes talk about my estate plan. Here's my estate plan. The day I die, I would like to be overdrawn at the bank. I would like to have spent my last dollar. When I die, I want to have spent my last dollar enjoying my life, and I would like to be overdrawn at the bank, and I would like my last check to have been written to the IRS. So I wanted to enjoy all my money, overdrawn at the bank, last check to be written to the IRS, and oh, by the way, I would like that check to bounce. In addition to that, 10 days later, I would like all my wealth to be recreated income tax-free through the use of a life insurance policy, policies, 
because I have multiple ones. So those people that I love can do it all over again. I love that you said that. Yeah. Yeah, Because there's something really key in that, that you want to enjoy your wealth. You want to enjoy every dollar that you've created and not have to worry about hanging on to this or holding back and infringing on your ability to enjoy your life so that you can pass on a legacy. You want your life insurance asset to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But it also has to have defaults built into it because I know how things play out. I have had many insurance agents, advisors, and representatives over the country have been amazed by the number of death claims that we have experienced in our office. My very first death claim was after I wrote a policy on a 28-year-old. It's the first chapter of my book. I was going to say, that's the first chapter, I believe. Yep. And and he died 13 months after the policy was put into effect. Which and is astounding. As a and young... A terrible experience. <laughs> oh, horrible. You know, because I can remember reading the obituary in the paper, thinking it was the person's father because it was the same name. And it's like, well, it couldn't have been a person who was my age, but it was. Mm-hmm. You know, and I literally said aloud, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And my, at that time two-year-old sitting in her high chair repeated me like a parent and said, oh my God, you know, because I was in such shock. I never met his wife until the day of the funeral because he was one of these guys that just handled the money himself. But see, had he had a whole life to live, he would have had that money later on in his retirement years. But this was the default plan that now he didn't have that time. So 13 months in, we were able to create that estate. We were able to create all that money that he was going to take all these years to build. We were able to build it in 13 months. So that's where I see the magic happening because that is part of the contract. Well, I love the reason. I think the reason we brought you on the show is to be able to share the reality of what happens. We talk all the time about having life insurance be able to fill up those wealth tanks, if you will. If you have this, all of the wealth that you could create during your lifetime, life insurance fills all of that up at whatever stage you die. But that can seem really theoretical or just conceptual or just something that you draw on a piece of paper. It can't, sometimes it feels like, well, that's just a something in the future that's not really that relatable to me. But here you are sharing a story of somebody who passed away young, way too young, way too early, only 13 months after the life insurance policy was put in force, that now then did fill up all of the wealth that he would have created over his lifetime with that policy. And that wasn't his plan. That wasn't his wife's plan. That certainly wasn't their plan A, but that was what the worst case scenario was that they defaulted to because you had put a proper life insurance policy in force for that family. Our plans, our individual plans is that we are never going to get sick. Mm-hmm. We are never going to become disabled. And oh, by the way, we're never going to die. Okay. That's the plan. But I am still one of these uh, uh, people that get a daily newspaper every single day. And I open it up and I go to the hometown section and, and, and kind of humorously tongue in cheek, people are dying to get into the hometown section. It's called the obituaries. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what's very frustrating is that when you go to it, you expect to go, okay, 92, 87, oh. 52, 36, 
I don't like to see those ages, but the mm -hmm. thing is that happens all the time. So we've got to plan for the very worst. And if we plan for the very worst, then we can also live sometimes the very best. Now I think about the pandemic right now. What a wonderful thing to be able to have the emergency funds. When I look at the cash value that my clients have built up over the decades, it's like there's not six months of income there. There's not a year's worth of income. For many people, there's two, three, four, five, six years of income. Do you think they're stressed out right now about what's going to happen to their job? What's going to happen with maybe mm. bills they have? They're totally covered because they did the hard thing, which was committing to putting money away on a regular basis. And isn't this what we're always being taught to do? But it's like, where do you put it that it's not locked up? Where do you put it? that you don't have to worry about the market falling on a day-to-day -day basis. What is the value of my account going to be worth on this particular day? It's just knowing that you can bring that up and you know, this is what my cash value is. And oh, by the way, next month it's going to be higher. Guaranteed. Yes. Guaranteed it's going to be higher. I love that you share that. And again, because it's an actionable, tangible story of somebody who actually went through this experience where we can think, forward looking, mm -hmm. we talk about all the time, the value of having an emergency fund. But when you're looking at the person in the face now who has that emergency fund and does not have to be afraid because they do have that six years worth of income in a life insurance policy, the, you're, you're right. It's tremendous amount of freedom. And if we can think about how can we put ourselves in that position, you said going through the hard thing now, mm -hmm to be able to put yourself in that position. I think just having that future of certainty and knowing what your future will look like because of the guarantees inside of a life insurance policy is just tremendous amount of peace of mind. But yes, there is a hard thing to go through to put aside the money, to not have access to all of it upfront and to be in a position of being disciplined, to put that money aside and make sure that you're thinking about the future and thinking about the long term. It's just a beautiful way of sharing that. And, and there's so many different things that we have to be disciplined in our lives. Uh, uh, I will sometimes laugh to myself and try, you know, not to say anything too negative. When I have somebody coming into my office who's in their 50s, 60s, they've already had children. And one of the things that we'll ask is, can we just see the latest edition of your will? And I always say the latest edition because I know there's an 80% chance that they'll say, oh, I don't have a will. You know, so I'm just trying to make a point. What's the addition? You know, because in our that own it should be updated. It, it should be updated. I mean, my wife and I are currently thinking about uh, will number four, and it's because my kids are older, and every ten years, and in, in fact, sometimes I will refer to it as when you get a new washer and a dryer, refrigerator. These appliances typically last about ten years, and with uh, the new appliance, you get a new owner's manual. Well, if they only last for 10 years, you know, a will should last about 10 years because before my kids were born, I didn't know who they were. I didn't know what their personalities were. I had a plan for the unknown. Then when they were 10 years old, I could kind of figure out, you know, what kind of a person will this be? What did I want in place in the event that there would be college down the road when there were 20? Thinking of it differently. Now that my oldest is 30, it's like the responsibility of how I view our estate and moving forward is very, very different because they are different individuals. There's different needs. There's different things that 
I wish to do regarding charitable giving and things like that. So, so oftentimes people will not want to do this. They'll wait till the very end. So my, my uh, uh, number, uh, what is it? Number two chapter, I tell the story of, of Nancy and we were very, very close and we were working on trying to get them to an attorney to complete a will. Well, because of a cancer diagnosis, it, it, it put the darn thing off. And literally, I received a telephone call days um, before her death. And they said, can we put the will together? Well, I'm not an attorney. We were walking them through a process of decision making. And uh, I put together some notes, talked to an attorney that they were going to be happy with. We uh, came up with uh, uh, an idea that the attorney would actually come to the oncology unit mm. uh, that next Monday. Uh, but just the fact that I was one of the few people that saw her that weekend, she didn't make it to Monday. Mm. So the will was never completed. And then the way that the story continued is three years later, her husband died. Now, she died at the age of 38. He died at the age of 42. And up until the very, very end, I was working with other family members to try to get Todd, the husband, to complete his will, which was literally done about a month before his death. Oh, wow. So that was chapter two and three and chapter number four. And this is really interesting. Chapter number four is just a discussion on how things played out for the guardian, for the executor, because of the work that we did, and the life insurance that paid. And oftentimes people just don't think that this could happen to them. It happens to people every single day. All you have to do is open up the paper and you see it, but people will always say, not me, not now. And I think hey Mark, that, that actually brings me to one of my next questions. Um, and I'll, and I'm going to set this up a little bit because I feel the same way. I, I really believe it's part of our job is to educate. Yes. But also to motivate. I tell that to yes. people all the time. My job is to educate and motivate. Um, the problem with it is, is if it's not done correctly, um, in my mind, it's actually counter productive because the education can come across as um, self-serving for the producer as a sales mm -hmm. uh, position. Um, and so I, I want to encourage all the producers out there is, is that if you just focus on the education part of it, uh, but then a lot of times you, you, you can't get people to move forward. Right. So you also have to stay on it and motivate them mm -hmm. to move forward. When you, when you, I'm going to tell a story now because um, um, you probably could appreciate this. I, about 10 years ago, had a teacher who was trying to do a pension max. And I won't go into pension max. You understand pension max. Yep. So, but it was a Brady Bunch family. It, you know, mm -hmm. it was a mixed family. Yep. And she had only been married to, for him to seven years. Great relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, four kids, three kids. And okay. um, she says... I want to, I want to leave, you know, my pension to him. And he's like, no, I don't deserve that. You just take, you just take the, the larger single life sum. And I said, wait a minute, guys, we can do this both. We can actually do a pension max where we take, you can take the single life sum and we can do life insurance and then you'll get something if, if, if it happens, uh, you, you die prematurely. She was only 51 years old. Hmm. And, um, 
So I, I presented it to them. They actually asked me to leave the room so that they could, they could mm. discuss it. So I did. They came back in and said, we really can't make a decision right now. Mm. And I said, I understand. Do you mind if this was like on a Thursday? I said, you mind if I call you next Tuesday and mm. just see where you are? And they said, no, no, that's fine. So yep. next Tuesday, I happened to be having a, a, in the morning, I happened to be having a discussion with another teacher. And she's like, oh, my goodness, do you, did you hear what happened to Kim? Yeah. And I said, no. She said she, she died yesterday in a car wreck. Mm. And then her husband calls me later on that afternoon and said, did Kim happen to call you and put that life insurance in place? Obviously mm. not knowing the procedure that you yeah. just don't put it in place. And yeah. my heart just sunk. Yeah. You know, and I thought, what could I have done differently you know, to get them to move forward on this? Yeah. But this is, a, this is a teary-eyed story that, I, that I'm holding back tears right now, just remembering the emotion that I did something wrong in that situation. I think there are many times if, if a person has been in this industry for any period is that you will have a sense of failing someone because perhaps you just didn't gently push them enough. And it's always a fine line because you don't mm -hmm. want to come off that, uh, you know what, you got to put this life insurance in effect, you know, because uh, you can uh, die tomorrow. You yeah, can die on or, the way home tonight. You know, or, or I've got some quota I've got to make. You know, it's like I, I really don't care, you know, because I've, I've got the experience that I know how things can play out. I want to make certain that, that they've got it in place. And I have been starting to feel guilty when I have visited with people and they are of good health, but for whatever reason, uh, they elected to, yeah. to move ahead. Mm -hmm. And a year later, all of a sudden, something bizarre has happened physically to them that they cannot purchase the life insurance now. Mm -hmm. And I have had many a time that I've uh, returned home after a day at the office, and it's like, Mark, you failed these people. You did not do what you were supposed to do a year ago or six months ago or, or three months ago. And, and I think a lot of people don't realize what happens in our minds when someone says, no, I'm going to wait. Mm -hmm. Because again, we know oftentimes how this might play out. And, and it's not about us. It's about you may pay for this stuff with money, but you buy it with your health. You know, Absolutely. And and if you have good health, in fact, even if you have mediocre health, you can get a policy, but we don't know how bad health might be tomorrow. And there is yes. no reason to wait. You know, I'm just going to share real briefly as well. I personally went through a near-death experience after my youngest daughter was born. And looking back at that scenario, I have enjoyed fantastic health my whole mm -hmm. life. My husband and I are both in excellent health. I haven't been running for the last year, but up until then I was running all the time. We eat super well. We're in a condition where you would, I would like to say I have 70 years left on my life. I mean, mm -hmm. I would like to say I'm yep. going to live to be 125, which is probably impossible. But when I look at that circumstance, I went into labor had no idea what kind of complications were going to arise. I ended up leaving the labor and delivery room about 1045. Mm. The next thing I know, I'm opening my eyes and looking at a clock. This is 230. 
and I'm trying to get my bearings. Has it been four hours or has it been 16 hours? I don't know. All I know is I have this huge gratitude and thankfulness that I'm even alive. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, I just delivered a baby. Where's the baby? Where's my husband? He's got to be worried sick about me. He clearly hasn't seen me over this length of time. And it was just a tremendously emotional experience. I had ended up having eight units of blood replaced in my body. I almost bled out. Um, my blood pressure was so low. They were very concerned that I wasn't going to make it. And that was the report they had shared with my husband. And again, I'm fighting back tears in this circumstance, but I look at that and nobody knows what their future holds. And no. it's certainly, it can feel like it's a scarcity or a fear tactic or a, um, something that we're trying to get in a negative mindset to say, you know, this is really something you want to do to take care of your family. But when I look at how grateful we were that we have as much life insurance on my husband's life and my own that we possibly can have. He was in the room with our newborn daughter being dad and mom to that little baby girl and saying, if she doesn't make it, we're financially going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And having to think through that was not something that you ever want to think about as he's 41 and I'm 35. That's not something that you want to be considering, but it is so much peace of mind to know that financially we would have been okay. It's having that certainty that really only that one product can provide because the stock market can't provide it because you don't know what the value is going to be. Mm -hmm. You got to have certainty and it's got to be self-completing right now. And, and obviously it would still have been a horrible situation for your husband to live without his wife, without... Yes the mom, but you don't want to worry about money. It's like, okay, right. that's taken care of. It's wonderful to be in the position to say, you know what? I'm not going to work for the next 20 years. And to be able to say, I don't have to work. You know, instead I could be a full-time dad. Mm -hmm. I can be, you know, I can be the person that I need to be. I don't have to answer to the man. Okay. Instead I can answer to my kids. That's what's so important. The certainty. And that's where it becomes this gift. It's this mm -hmm. embrace of your loved ones. And I think I heard it multiple places, your book being one of them, that life insurance is one of the greatest gifts of love that you can give to your family. And when you think about it in that perspective, you have the power as a living, breathing, free thinking agent who has the ability to make financial choices in your life. You have the ability to put in place this greatest gift of love you possibly can give to your spouse, to your children who will live on after you. And it's not, again, it's not just money. It's that you're giving them the certainty that no matter what happens, that they're going to be okay. So they're not going to have to struggle and fight through that unknown and the lack of cash. Yep. And what a lot of people don't understand is that uh, some people might hear this and say, oh my gosh, these three individuals just want me to be insurance poor. Well, the wonderful thing about insurance companies is that they can legally not make you insurance poor because we all have a human life maximum that we're even allowed to apply for. So some years ago, uh, when my wife was a stay-at-home mom, but uh, we uh, were buying some real estate property, and, and while she was at home taking care of the kids, she was taking care of some of this real estate, by the easy, simple mathematical calculation, she should not have been able to purchase much life insurance because she wasn't bringing much income into the household. 
but because of the investments that we made that she was managing and because of the loans that we had on on uh, those real estate properties, uh, I was going to be in a whole lot of hurt if the uh, uh, major, you know, management person was no longer there, you know, plus obviously my wife and and the mother of my children. Mm -hmm. So I literally had to write a letter to the insurance company to tell them this is my potential loss if my wife were to die early. So the one thing a lot of people don't realize is that sometimes we have to go to bat for you to help you get the maximum amount of life insurance that you can possibly get, but it's not an unlimited amount. So mm -hmm. you cannot become insurance poor. It's impossible. The insurance company will not allow you to over-insure yourself. I think I've, I've heard it stated, and I use this all the time, as insurance companies don't create the states, they protect the states. Exactly. And, 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 and people have this idea that, oh, you know, I'm worth more dead than I am alive. And I said, no, you're not. Actuarially, the insurance company will never allow that to happen. They will never allow that to happen. Matter of fact, if they're going to err, they're going to err on the low side. It's funny, Kevin, I'm, or uh, Mark, I'm dealing with this right now with, with a client um, who has the almost exact same thing you're talking about. Stay-at-home mother. Mm -hmm. she, she actually um, manages the properties, the real estate properties. But the, but the father only has $300,000 worth of life insurance. And of course, what does the insurance company say? Well, we're only going to give a, a non-income uh, producing spouse 50% uh, of what oh. the father has. Yep. And I've been, I've been going back and forth with the head underwriter. And I'm like, you guys don't get this. Yep. You know, he's, he's, he's going to need daycare to be paid for. You know, uh, that $150,000 is not going to cover that for very many years. Plus, he's going to have to he's going to have to now hire a property manager, mm -hmm. you know. And um, yeah, I'm fighting for this guy right now. The same in this under the same scenario. So, isn't that amazing that we actually have to fight with the insurance company to try to get people to have the coverage that they should have? Another analogy that I will sometimes use is uh, the reason that insurance companies uh, will not allow you to overinsure someone is very similar to uh, overinsuring a house. If you have a home that's worth $250,000, the insurance company does not want you to insure it for a half million dollars because they don't want you to benefit. They want the loss to be covered. So when we're doing the calculations on what the loss is on a human life, it's not like all this extra money. It's just replacing financially what you have lost by that life ending. It's making you whole. It's not setting you further along the trajectory than you would have been otherwise. Exactly. So that's a very excellent point that you're talking about here. Let's, let's talk real briefly about the non-forfeiture options of life insurance in a worst case scenario. I know this is something that you talk about in your book and it's also near and dear to your heart. There's so many other topics. I mean, we could talk about disability yep. and how often that happens before somebody passes away in, in your research. Um, we're going to just make the copy of the book available to people and we're going to make sure that they know where to get that at the end. But let's cool. talk about why is having that safety net and flexibility so important within life insurance? Okay, so the non-forfeiture options, I just happen to love these uh, because they're really cool, is that, uh, in, in fact, when I told somebody at a home office once 
that uh, I was going to have a chapter about non-forfeiture options. It was someone from a uh, service department at a life insurance company, and the person got all giddy. And I said, okay. so it's really going to kind of be a boring chapter, I said, but a really important one. She said, no, that's the coolest thing that a life insurance contract has. And all of a sudden, I was speaking this woman's language because she understood how awesome it is. So, so let's just talk about some of the non-forfeiture options that are there. One that oftentimes people don't even consider. In fact, most insurance agents, they know that the page is there because they inadvertently have page through it and they've seen it, but oftentimes they don't know what the heck it is. One of the options is, is that when a person dies or if they surrender their policy, which by the way, would be the dumbest thing a person could ever do, but it is still an option. Okay. Is I'm that, glad that you shared that. Yes. And not yeah, to make anyone I mean, feel it, bad, but that is a warning. No, yes. It would be the dumbest thing a person could ever do but it is an option inside the contract mm -hmm. because you can get the cash. But one of the things that you can do without paying any commission or any fee at some point in time, if you've run out of all of your other money, so let's say your Roth IRA is gone, your 401k is gone, your real estate is gone, you have spent all the money inside your house with a reverse mortgage, you are down to a buck 25. And the only thing that you have left is a life insurance policy. Now, you know and I know you can take loans out, you can take dividends, there's all this funky stuff. But the worst best scenario, again, it's the worst, but it's still a best scenario, is that I can turn around and I can turn it into a pension that will last my entire life no matter how long I live and the insurance company is on the hook to pay me forever. And it's a page at the very, very back end of a whole life insurance policy, so now everyone's going to be going to their policy, what is Mark talking about? It's one page that has bunches of columns, and it says what happens if you get interest only, what happens based on what your age is, what your cash value is, do you have a spouse, do you want to leave money to that spouse? You can literally create a pension for life. And again, this is the best, worst case scenario, and it's already built in and you're not even paying extra for it, and you put the insurance company on the hook forever. So that's one. But the three that people typically like to talk about is cash, and I just talked about that. Stupid move, but it is a non-forfeiture option. You get all your money back. The other one is something called a reduced pay down. Again, I would try not to do this because there are ways you can use dividends and loans to be able to keep everything intact. But again, I'm talking about the very worst case scenario. No dividends have been paid for years and years, which we never have had that experience. In fact, something that I will show people sometimes is a very, very old mutual whole life insurance contract that uh, I got my hands on years ago that mm. uh, was in force during the Great Depression. Oh, excellent. And, and at that time, the agents used to come around and they would have a little stamp with the year on the stamp and it would say dividends paid. And the reason I like this policy is that this old policy had 1929, dividends paid, 1930, dividends paid, 1931, dividends paid. Now the dividends weren't much, but they were paid mm -hmm. even during the Great Depression. And that's kind of a cool thing. So non-forfeiture options, we're, we're making the assumption that dividends have never been paid. So this is like the worst, worst, worst case scenario. 
all hell has broken loose everywhere else. So one of the options is that I can get a reduced paid up. Now, the way that this works, if I've got a policy that I'm having to pay premiums into, and let's say it's a million dollar policy. So the analogy is I've got a million dollar house, but I don't want to pay for my million dollar house anymore. I just want to be done with the house. The insurance company will allow you to have a reduced paid up policy. Now, it depends upon your age. It depends upon the cash value inside the policy. So I'm making these numbers up. But let's say instead of a million dollar house that you're paying a mortgage on, a million dollar policy that you're paying a premium on, you say to the insurance company, I would like to have a reduced paid up policy. So in essence, they're taking the equity from the policy that you're paying into they're putting it into a reduced policy. So now let's say it's going to be a half million dollar policy, but that you can no longer put money into even if you wanted to. So it's like downsizing. I'm going from a million dollar house to a half million dollar house. One had a mortgage, one doesn't. And there wasn't any realtor getting a 6% or 7% commission to make that transaction. Okay. So that's one option. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's another worse worst case scenario. And again, there are other options better than this, but contractually, this is what the insurance company says they will do under the worst case scenario. They will also provide you with an extended term policy. So let's say I still like the million dollar policy. I still like the million dollar house, but the insurance company can do a calculation and actually say, you know, with the money that you have there, equity, We'll let you stay inside the policy. We'll let you stay inside the house and we'll tell you how many years and how many days. So they will look at your age. They will look at the cash inside and they might say, and again, I'm just making this up because it's going to be unique for everyone. They might say, there's enough money to keep you inside that, po that policy, that house for the next 15 years and 218 days. So in essence, now you've got like rent taken care of for that period of time. If you die before that rental period is up, you still have the million dollars worth of death benefit and any unused premium. Now, the only reason I would ever do something like this is like the person has to have an expected short life. And again, this is like the worst, worst case scenario but it gives us options because I'm assuming all other money is gone. What do we do under worst case scenarios? I can have a pension. I could have the cash, still dumb, but that's an option. I could have a reduced paid up policy that even if I wanted to put money into it, I can't. Okay. And I can also keep the level of coverage I had, but I can extend it for a period of time based on my age and how much money is inside the policy. And what's really cool, it's under state law that these non-forfeiture options are actually built into a policy. Most agents don't know how this works. And that's what's really sad. You go to that page and they go like, uh, yeah, they're non-forfeiture options, but they could never explain it to you. Mark, did you know how to produce a video that they put on YouTube though? Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, what's really interesting is that the flexibility and options within a life insurance policy, it mm -hmm. provides tremendous peace yes. of mind, tremendous guarantees. I think one of the 
challenges that people and the hurdles that they need to overcome to mm -hmm. think about using a whole life insurance policy is this, I have to pay these premiums for my whole life. And if I yep. don't, then I'm going to have to cancel the policy. And I think somehow that that's the mindset or the concern that I don't want to be on the hook for this premium for the rest of my life and realizing the options that are available to, again, and you're mentioning only the worst case scenarios, mm -hmm. but there's also pay from your cash values. There's using your dividends to pay portion of the premium. There's taking a policy loan to pay that the premium as well. Pain based premiums only and not the paid up additions. There's so many options. But when you talk about the worst case scenario, worst. it's just yeah. amazing to be able to put that confidence and peace of mind into someone's financial life that this can then cover them in a case of needing to have cash available for something that is a tremendous or a critical illness right before they pass away. There's just so many other options that we could even still talk about with that. Well, well, and, well. and there's been other interesting things. Uh, oftentimes a person will say as they're near in retirement, when can I stop paying on this thing? Mm -hmm. You know, because at that point, it's no longer a policy. It's no longer an asset. It's a thing, you know, because they're just getting tired of paying. Here's my experience on this is that the vast majority of people want to be able to know that they can stop. And many of them will for about 18 months, but about 18 months into retirement, people will typically look at their own financial situation and they'll say, you know, I got money left over. What should I be doing with this extra money? So we'll literally, if you can kind of think of, of a stoplight, is that uh, all of a sudden in retirement, they want to stop and they want to stop forever until they come to the realization that they have cash. And now they're looking at where to put their safe money and that their life insurance is giving them their best internal rate of return. So now they're going from red to green and they're starting to put money back in, but they can always have the option to stop, go, or have caution depending upon what's going on in their life. So the vast majority of people, my experience has been about a year and a half into retirement, they, they're getting their trips out of the way, they're spending money, and then all of a sudden they're kind of hunkering down to a regular life and there is money typically left over at the end of the year. Well, wouldn't you want to put it into the asset that gives you the most opportunities moving forward. And that's what they do. That's number one. Number two, it's funny. Uh, there are a lot of policies out there that maybe will stop premium payments at age 65 or 75 or 90, some that will go for the rest of time. Uh, I have some, they're called L90s, where the policies will not allow a premium payment after the age of 90. Well, most clients would say, whoa, I'm not planning on putting any money in a policy after the age of 65. My experience has been I've got clients who are actually upset once they're in their 80s to realize that they can't put any more money into their policies after the age of 90 and have literally said to me, well, I'm just going to send the company a check and I have to tell them they're just going to send it back. Well, that's not fair. Well, that's the way the contract is set up but this is working really good. Where am I going to stick my money? And, and, and sometimes you're looking at a brand new policy if they're of good health, okay? Then there's a third thing. Talk about, you know, the great asset that we have right now. The very first real estate deal we did, and it was the first real estate deal, so the bank wanted 20% down. And even the banker said, this, this is a good investment. You're going to get X rate of return. And he, and he was talking about how the numbers really looked well. 
and, and, and he said, you know, you just got to put 20% down. I said, well, number one, the numbers aren't that great that he told me that I had. And I said, I'm not going to put 20% down. And this is the guy who is going to help me finance it. And I had to walk him through three times to explain how he was going to do this. But I said, you're going to do a collateral assignment against one of my life insurance policies. So I'm only going to put 10% down. You're going to have a collateral assignment that basically says, if I screw up, you can come and get the other 10%. But until such time, you just keep your cotton picking hands off. Okay. And even though I had to pay a higher principal and interest, because of the amount of money I put into the deal, my actual rate of return doubled. And this was a VP at a bank, a local bank. I walked him through the numbers three times before all of a sudden his eyes opened up and he said, I get it. Your rate of return would be higher. This is somebody at the bank. We have to educate bankers sometimes on how money works. I completely agree. And what's interesting that you're, you're highlighting here is the power of being able to collateralize your cash value inside your policy. And then you're putting less of your capital down and it is increasing your total rate of return because your money's still growing inside the policy as well as the rate of return that you're getting in the outside investment. And I just love being able to talk to someone who understands these concepts. And at the same time, there are so many people who can benefit tremendously from the peace of mind of having the death benefit in place, from the peace of mind and certainty of having a known cash value amount, from the peace of mind of having all of this flexibility and options, and the ability to get higher rates of return by collateralizing the cash value if you invest in an opportunity that is a good opportunity. There's just so much that I think so many people can benefit from. So let's go ahead and let people know how can they get this copy, a copy of this book, Investments Don't I got Hurt. one too. Good, <laughs> good. So very awesome book, Bruce. You're not holding yours up, but we know yours is on your nightstand. So we could have a triple um, showing of this book right now. So Mark, where can people go to get a copy of this poignant, moving, and very educational book that is full of stories just like what you've been sharing today? Okay, so you'll love this. You could go to Amazon.com if, you if you're too lazy to read. But I say that the book is the best way to go because I want people to highlight this book. I want people to write margin notes, use it as a way to learn and to ask questions. People should read this book, call you, and ask questions of you on how does this work? How does, how does this work with my life? So it's available through Audible, iTunes. Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, you can actually get uh, uh, the copy that you can draw in. Then if you want to know more about the book, uh, you can go to Investments Don't Hug without the apostrophe. You'll find out more about the book. And we also have some blogs on there that might be helpful for people as well. And then lastly, and, and this is kind of a cool thing that we decided to do. Um, it actually has very little to do about uh, uh, life insurance, maybe about half uh, of the time we talk about life insurance, but we also have a podcast called Discovering Wisdom Over Coffee with Mark Bertrang. And what I do with this podcast is I just visit with uh, uh, people about different topics. Uh, we have a podcast where we talk to uh, uh, someone regarding healthcare directives, uh, a nurse at a hospital, you know, what should you, you be thinking about? Uh, we talk to an attorney about financial powers of attorney. We talk to an attorney about uh, wills and estate planning. 
Uh, we've got one coming up uh, soon about uh, mental health during the pandemic and mm. what to do if you feel like you or a family member is going through uh, a time of depression. So I think it's important for all of us to give back in unique ways and for people to know that you know we're more than just a, a life insurance. I think all three of us, you know, it's mm -hmm. about improving other people's lives. We care about other people's lives. And uh, uh, that's what people have to understand because uh, it, it revolves around all these topics. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us today. I believe I did not know about the podcast, but that sounds wonderful as well. So check out Discovering Wisdom Over Coffee with Mark Bertrang. I assume that's on iTunes. It's then, everywhere. I don't even know, know how it gets out there. It's magic. There you go. There you go. Well, life insurance, though, is not magic. And that's why there's just so much built into how life insurance works. And Bruce, I know that you say life insurance isn't magic. So I thought that yeah, would be a perfect. Yeah, that's one of my plays all the time. That. This is not magic. <laughs> it's, it's an actuarial product. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it works by contract. So you, yep. you know what's going to happen. Absolutely. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Mark. Um, I really think this was a fantastic episode. If you have questions about how life insurance works, yes, please go ahead and reach out to us at themoneyadvantage.com. Please go get your copy of the book, Investments Don't Hug. Have your tissues nearby. I don't say that lightly. It's very moving. It will bring you to tears, but it will make you really understand not only the value of your own life, but how to give that greatest gift of love to your loved ones, no matter what your circumstances, the difficulties, the crisis, the health concerns, and the beautiful things that you walk through in your life. So in closing, please remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.